Today I'm talking to Val King. Val's got a, a fascinating background. She was a MD of the Ruth Flight Company here in the Cotswolds. And as part of uh, that role, she recently has exited that business using an EOT. And, um, and now she, because of that experience, that really positive experience, she now runs a business working with other businesses to see if an EOT is right for them. So welcome Val, pleasure to have uh, you on the show. Morning, morning Dale. It's a beautiful day, even though I've got my door closed now, but to, to uh, I think we've both got bird problems <laughs> with bird, bird noises outside. Yeah, uh, there's worse problems to have, isn't there? Uh, you could have the beach uh, noise crashing. Out. Well, yeah, yeah, now you're talking. <laughs> hey Val, look, thanks for, for joining us. Why don't you start by giving us a bit of a background and your experience and, um, and we'll dig in from there. Okay, so I, I started my working life in the corporate world that studied languages and then did a postgrad in, in international marketing. So I, I worked in, in, a, in a really interesting field in, in healthcare as well as, uh, as glass fibre. Um, but then there came a point when um, I, was, I was getting a bit fed up travelling so much, to be frank. I was travelling sometimes up to three, two weeks out of four. And so it was, it was getting, getting a bit too, too, too tiring. And that was even before the security problems at, at uh, airports. Um, my husband had started up a business. He's an architect and he, um, he had spotted a gap in the market. He, he was an architect working in, in Hampstead Garden suburb. had started to design a, a product called the Conservation Roof Light, which is a replica of the old cast iron roof light. And this was for um, mainly residential projects, but also um, historic, other historic buildings for roof windows where the uh, local historic building officer or the planning officer would not allow a modern roof light, like a Velux. So um, we started the business from scratch, and then I joined him um, about two years later. And so we ended up with 70 employees and uh, working out of two places in the Cotswolds. Um, and I have to say that what I did, what I was able to take the good stuff from the corporate world, um, knowing things like budgets were important and appraisals and some of the processes from the corporate world, but also forget um, relinquishing the bad stuff, like the too long meetings where nothing gets done, um, a lot of time spent on forecasting that never really bore fruit. So I was able to get rid of all the bad stuff and, and import the good stuff from what I learned in the corporate world. Yeah, I think that it's an important point you've raised around, um, I think we can overlook uh, the corporate world for, as, as being bureaucratic and slow. But there's a whole lot of disciplines that um, I think we just, if we're in the corporate world, we just take for granted that are really beneficial to SMEs and, and growing mid-market businesses, um, yeah. especially if they haven't seen them before. So we, can, we yeah. can bring those disciplines in and they really add value. And some of them are new to um, business owners if they haven't had that experience. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's important to bring the, the processes into business once it gets, especially once it gets to a certain size. Yeah, yeah. So what, what were the things you brought in? Uh, I think you mentioned forecasting, getting the right level of forecasting, yeah. you know, running some discipline around running meetings. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what I also brought in was uh, trusted advisors because if you're in an SME, you are, especially if, when you're small, it's quite easy to become myopic. And I, I saw the real benefit of bringing in outside thinking. So I, did, I spent quite a lot of money over the years on bringing in really good people. Um, I met a lot of these people at um, a business leaders group I, I attended called MD2ND, and it was really 
beneficial to me to bring in people like um, a, a lady called Lindsay McKenzie on project management. We do a lot of projects in the Live Like Company, so it's a very structured approach to project management. Um, things like coaching, a really excellent coach called Gareth Chick, where everyone in the, in the company got the benefit of knowing what co coaching meant, both from the point of view of giving coaching and receiving coaching. Um, thing, things like uh, di disciplines uh, around marketing planning and strategic planning. So a lot of those things I've brought in over the years, knowing that I didn't have the expertise, and there are certain people who, certain people who could do it better than me, but bringing in that expertise, but making it stick, that was really important. Making the, those new processes stick in the business, not just someone coming in, that was very interesting, and then doing nothing with them. I was very assiduous in terms of applying what we learned, and then making sure that others in the business did the same. So developing new habits and making sure they stick. Exactly. And the things you described, if, if, if I'm picking up correctly, there, there's a combination of, I guess, looking after the people through coaching and, and developing the people. And also, on the other hand, getting that balance right with developing the processes and the systems and, and, and making sure that the people are, are being as productive and as effective as they can be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think that businesses get to say, in fact, I listened to a previous podcast you, you did, um, and I think when you get to about 20, 25, the centrifugal forces start to spin out of control unless you, unless you actually bring in processes. And a lot of people, and in fact, in my case, I was really, do we need all these processes? But you really do. Otherwise, people just don't know what to do. When you're all sitting in a room together, and everyone kind of knows what's going on and it's great. You know, that's that 1G company, generation one, when it's all exciting. When you get into the second generation phase to about 20 people, it's really important to start thinking about processes. And if you can't do it, you bring someone in to help you do it. Yeah, and that gives you consistency and that gives makes your life easier as, as running the business. Yes, of course. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it, you sort of do it against your will because you, it feels less natural and, and people go, oh, God, you know, I've got to fill in another piece of paper. Is this, is this really what I want to do? But the, you do go out of control. And I've seen it in, in quite a few businesses where they, they, they just they lose control and they get more and more stressed and, and, and the owner starts to get un, more unhappy with the lack of control and doesn't know how to take control again. And yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just something you have to, to face up to when you start growing. Hmm. So you said you, were, you joined your husband's business effectively and, and yeah. helped him in running it. How did you decide what roles each of you would uh, take in the business? Uh, well, that was actually quite easy because uh, Pete is an architect. And so what I used to say to him, think things like budgets, he just used to go budgets. I'm not going to go do budgets. So Pete was a very um, creative person and it didn't take him long to decide that he really wanted to go back to architecture. So he, um, for a while I was, I was looking after HR and marketing and then he really just wanted to go back to being an architect again. And then coming in only for the new design products and, um, and projects that were, were exciting him. So he came in to do discrete projects but not to actually run the business. So that's when I took over as, as managing director. So you, and in were, fact, when, you were MD in the business? Yes, so I was managing director from about, oh, I don't know, late 90s, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, I, and in fact, you know, I still remember the, the time when Pete wanted me to be MD, our accountant said I should do, my father in law said I should do, and I never heard of an MD who was part time. And I just had two small children, and I didn't want to work full time. And I honestly never heard of it. I thought, 
to not give up. <laughs> so that's what I did. I I um I just decided, okay, I can I can probably do this in, in, in a part-time role. And that really helped me to delegate um in those early days because I had no choice. I had to I had to delegate a lot more. So that helped uh, me to get around get my head around empowering people and then just trusting people. And if people got it wrong, then we held them accountable and, and learned from the lesson. Okay. So it was, uh, it was a quite a, it was a good learning experience, and I think it helped me not to become in some SMEs the MD becomes the the point of contact for everything, for every decision, the spider in the web, so to speak, and in the middle of the web. And and I think that because of circumstances, and it's probably probably part of my nature as well, it, I just find it easier to delegate and make sure that people did their jobs right. So it was, it was out of necessity as well. Yeah. So uh, how would you describe your leadership style and the culture that you created in the business? So I, I feel very strongly about my, our values-led culture. Um, I, I took some time out of the business. Uh, I wanted to do something else. I worked in the charity sector for a while and then came back and we had, we'd, I had set up some values, but it was clear that the, those values were not um, being were not meaningful in any way. They didn't affect behavior, they were just words on a wall. And the, the, I'm sure that most people um, have seen this in other organizations where the values simply do not mean anything. So um, I brought in um, a, a culture of, value, of values being at the base and, and, and leading what we do. And so I did that in different ways, bringing in behaviors, again, bringing in a, a, an organizational development uh, consultant called Kate Mercer, and she helped us to formed the behaviours around each of the values. We had nominations for people who displayed the values and they became the values team. Um, we made sure that we had the values at the heart of every decision that we took. And it was easier actually having those behaviours, they were literally, they were on the wall. But whenever we were in a leadership meeting and we had a tough old decision to make, um, things like our, our the value of care really helped to resonate and I can just remember one of the um, one of the, the behaviours is uh, we we uh, show active interest in others' well-being, respect, and compassion. So that's the if, if we were thinking that we were doing something that wasn't showing that, then we we held each other accountable, and that's um, and so we we I, I genuinely feel that in the business of say seventy people in a manufacturing business with a lot of lucky blokes working away there, the the values meant. It, to enough of the people, enough of the time to make a difference. And people who came and visited the companies really saw that. They saw that we were quite a bit different from most companies that they would normally see. And that's particularly in the manufacturing area. Okay, so you, you were quite serious about your values and they were more than just rhetoric and corporate yeah. slogans and, and for the corporate literature, you followed through and, and I think you even mentioned to hold people accountable to behaviors yeah. Um, to values, brilliant. Yeah, okay. and, and we and we have that as as part of our one to ones. We have monthly one to ones with everyone, and we use the values. When, so it's it actually helps as well. When it's easy to hold somebody accountable when it's just numbers, when it's a sales target or on time delivery or uh, right first time, it's easy to hold people accountable when it's a numbers based metric matrix. However, if it's harder to hold people accountable on behaviour, you can't just walk walks into a one to one and say, "I don't like the way." you said that, I mean, you can say that, but it is quite a tough conversation. Whereas if you have a framework of behaviors, you can actually use them to start the conversation and, and hold people to accountable for their behavior is much more easy when you have that framework. Okay. So you've got a, a culture in the organization where it's, it's 
out front, it's deliberate, it's conscious, you're leading through values, you've got systems and structures set up in the business. It now comes to a time where you're starting to think, hey, look, what's next in my journey? Um, what went through your head? You know, how, how did this conversation, this thinking start? You know, tell us a bit about that. So it, it was really an elimination of the options that we had. So we, um, I looked at um, the possibility of an MBO. Um, the problem with an MBO is that uh, I, I'd heard a lot of um, anecdotes about how it didn't really work very well because the bank or the private equity um, funder uh, put the new team under a lot of pressure. There was also the fact that um, the guys hadn't actually approached us. They hadn't approached me. So I was wondering, well, what appetite do they have? Would that be possible? If I dangled the cherry in front of them, might they just take it and then maybe regret it? But I also knew, knew there was this problem with the, with the actual pressure that, that the PE, so the, the, um, the, the uh, funders put on, on the, new, the new top team. And that would change the culture. And then in the, at the end, somebody wants to make a lot of money out of an MBO, whether it's managers or the PE. And that tends to, when people um, need or want to make a lot of money, then that tends to change the, the, the long-term sustainability of a company. Um, actions have to be taken to do things in the short term, and that's not one of our, our values. So that was the, that was a no no. We were approached by a, another competitor, um, a competitor who was a kind of Me Too Velux company, and um, they were really interested in buying us because we have a very good franchise with architects, and they didn't. But um, I decided that actually that made it quite easy just to say no because. Really because I thought, well, they, they, had, they had production in Poland and I knew that most people would lose their job. At the end of the day, that, that's what would have happened, even if they promised lots of things. So it made it quite easy to then think, well, what's the best option? And that was an employee ownership trust, where we sold 60% of the shares in the end to um, a trust that's set up as a, a new entity. And then we, we decide um, who the trustees are, we decide what the deal is, um, we decide on um, the pace of the deal. And, and in fact, I was reflecting this with the, our FD who ran the, 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 the well, who ran the financial side of the project. Um, he was saying that actually you're much more in control when you're doing an employee ownership deal compared to others. Because at the end of the, you know, the when the time comes when you're starting to arm wrestle each other into negotiating the position, it's, it's actually uh, quite, quite unpredictable what's gonna happen. You might have your valuation, which is fair enough, but then they'll be looking at some of, some of the ways they can rebate from the total valuation. And then there'll be uh, some last minute earnouts negotiations, whereas with an employee ownership trust, get the valuation, which is independently done, and then, and then you, you know where you stand. And so it was a lot more, I felt a lot more in control. Okay, so you're, you're in control of the process, you're, you're on the front foot, I think you, you you indicated that you're basically work, working with friends and buyers, um, the right sort of people with you. Um, and there, there's not, there's not going to be any surprises at the end or any tricky bits through, through whatever um, behavioral, you know, even negotiation tactics, shall we say? Yeah. So you're always on the front foot. It's not adversarial. Um, and, there's also a sense of legacy there as well, by the sounds of it. Yeah. You're looking after the people who've helped you build the business into what it is today. 
Yeah, so so the, the, the protection of the people is very important. And when we, we told them about the, the, the Employee Ownership Trust, um, we had to do this in a very clear way to communicate why we were doing it. So I basically went through the options with them just as I've just I, I've done. But the, the important thing for me was the legacy of our, our values-led culture. The, um, the second aspect of our legacy was innovation. Pete started by actually copying a, a product, but at the same time innovating the way that it was um, designed, so that it was a, a modern, modern uh, properties for a, a, a product that looked like the old cast iron fight. So innovation has been something we've, we've always had with the company, with bringing in new products all the time, new processes, new ways of doing things. So innovation was part of our legacy. And then the final part was uh, long-term sustainability. So that's always looking at the long-term interests of the business, not just the, the, the quick the quick buck. And then also from an environmental point of view, um, we want to um, make sure that we're doing the least damage to the, the planet. Um, and as a manufacturing company, that's not easy to do, but um, that's, that's a project that's actually started about two years ago. Yeah. So you already knew that everyone was aligned to your 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 driving force for, for the business purpose, if you like, your vision. Exactly. So you knew that the new owners were aligned to that cause and would continue with that and 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 set out with uh, what the you the, the founders had set out to achieve. Exactly, and I think the the, the difference with the employer's trust is you put six trustees, in our case six. You don't have to have six. You can have all sorts of different forms of trustee um, membership. We, we decided on three independent trustees, we, um, one of whom was selected by the other directors, and then two co-owner trustees, so two people who actually work in the business, and then myself as a founder. So while I was managing director, Pete was the, um, was the, trust, the founder trustee, and now I'm on the board of trustees. So it's the job of the board of trustees to hold the top team, the leadership team, or the board of directors accountable for the guiding principles and the, the best interests of the business. So that, that's, what, that's, what, well, that's what we do as a board of trustees. And it's quite, it's quite odd, I had a meeting yesterday in board of trustees, and it is odd to, have to be on the other side of the table. It really is quite, quite strange. Um, but um, I'm, I'm very careful not to give uh, Steve a hard time unless I really think it's necessary. <laughs> But I, I, I remember that difference, so that difference presenting for the first time to others about you know, what was, what had been mine and Pete's business. And it was an, a big emotional jump. It was harder than I thought, actually. But it, it, you know, now, now, it's, now it feels easier, but it was a hard jump to go from the, knowing that you basically control over the whole thing, then relinquishing that control. It's, um, it is a bit of an emotional leap. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, so so your role changed. You you've you, it's yeah. all just a, a poacher come gamekeeper, if you like, from from running the company. Yeah. Mm. Uh, total uh, holding holding people account. So you, you've you've implemented. You're now on the other side. You're you're you've now exited the business. You've gone through the whole journey of 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 bringing the, the, the employees up to speed and, and introducing the concept of the EOT um, and then working through that process. Now that you're on the other side, what do, you, what do you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning of the process? Um, what I know now is actually I'm a lot happier than I thought I'd be. 
Um, and I think in the way COVID-19 has helped that um, in that I, um, I, I don't have all the, the strain and the worry that I used to have. You know, that's, that's, um, that is a, a big, big uh, burden that, that I no longer have. And, and so I feel good about what we've done. Um, I think that it's all along the, the, the project of, of selling the business, I knew it was the right thing to do. And I think, I think that for um, exiting business owners, uh, I was just reading something that's even, you know, start with the end in mind. And he says, to begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. Now, a clear understanding of your destination when you're exiting a business is such a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And for many exiting business owners, they don't even want to do to, to know what is, is going to get the, what's going to happen at the other um, side of the process. Um, but I had an idea that I wanted to set up this new business, BFG Associates, and, but I didn't know what it was going to feel like. I really didn't. But I was very lucky. And I was very lucky because everybody's world changed in March. Everybody. In fact, you could say globally. <laughs> everything changed yeah. and my I knew my life was going to change my world was going to change I was going to stop being managing director in March and it kind of helped having this feeling that everybody's changed everybody's life has changed so um I didn't know that nobody knew that was going to happen so it is um when Stephen Coley says something that start with the end in mind you kind of know roughly but you don't really really know you don't you'll never know exactly how that is but I think that what was important to me was knowing I did the project well. I actually did the, tra I led the transition project as well as I could, and it was the right thing to do. And I think that anyone uh, who's looking at what they want to do, um, how they want to sell their business, needs to think about how, how might they feel at uh, the end of the process. What, what would be a good decision? Because the last thing that anybody wants, especially with a big decision like this, possibly the biggest decision that you're ever going to make in your life, in the business sense, um, is you don't want to make a decision that you'll regret. So making sure that you go through the due diligence of what is really important to you. And, um, and I think speaking to guys, guys like you at Succession Plus to help to um, go through the emotions as well as the practicalities of the exit is really important and not to be underestimated because it's a huge thing to do. And so... I was, I, I, I was glad in, oh, that, that it went the way it did. Everything worked out fine. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, I wish I'd I kind of known. <laughs> I wish I'd known it was going to be uh, as good as this in a way. Um, because I still kept thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to be home with Pete the whole time. <laughs> it's going to kill me. <laughs> but, um, but in the end, it's, it's worked out really well. So I wish I'd kind of known that, you know. <laughs> so, so knowing that it'll be okay. Knowing that it'll be okay. And the thing is, I think that's it. And, but back to, um, and I know that this, you know, I'm leaning against an open door here with, with you guys. Um, thinking it through, thinking about what you really want. You know, is it all about money? Is it really all about money? You know, in which case, you know, you could, there, that you might go down one route. But then, then you might think, well, what do I want to do with this business? Um, what is my legacy? And if I've, I've heard quite a few stories where people do regret just selling to the highest bid, bid, bidder, and you know, and then and then the, the, the whole company dismantling, and and that that is is is, is a big regret. So, yeah. but you know, everybody everybody is different. Everybody's business is different. What drives them is different. But thinking about what you might might feel like after it's all over is important. 
And what you're describing now is, I think, the the dilemma that every business owner goes through, and 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 that is, how do I get the the balance right between maximizing the the business value and 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 money in my pocket, as you mentioned, and and leaving that legacy. How do I get that balance right? Because you know I've built this up; it represents my life's work and and everything I've created over my lifetime, and it's valuable. It's important that that this lives on. So how do I get that balance? But okay. at the same time, I need money in my pocket to fund my next phase after work, whatever that looks like. So yeah. it, it's a it's a tough one. So you, you, I think you, you've led us on nicely to the, I guess, the issues around timing. When is the right time to actually step out? You mentioned you got a nudge, but um, how, at, what advice can you give other other business owners around um, timing and or time frame? I think, well, I think every 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 consultant would see and every every um, everyone involved in Exxon would see as, as early as possible, so that you can get the succession planning sorted. That's really important. And in my case, it was, there was one guy who I knew was a really good contender for the job. But I wasn't absolutely sure whether he was ready for the job or right for the job. He'd all, always worked in the company, went from a young man. So, I, I, and we were looking at doing international um, marketing to Europe. Um, and I thought perhaps in UMD, it would be better if they had a broader experience of, of international market as well as a broader experience of manufacturing. But what I did do was to develop Steve as if he was going to become MD. That's what I decided to do. And then if it, it didn't work out, then if he left because he was dissatisfied, then I, I just had to pay, the company had to pay that price. He was obstinate. Um, in the end, he got the job, but we did actually recruit uh, externally. So succession planning is really important, getting, and making sure you've got a really good, strong leadership team. And that comes about with letting them... Um, make decisions without you completely influencing what they think and say. And that's, that's something that I learned in the last couple of years. So it's, it's important to, to do that. Yeah, so it's a bit of trusting your judgment and backing yourself and just acting as if and doing it anyway. Yeah. There are some things you just can't control. No, there's things you can't control. But one thing you can control when you do an EOT is you can stay in the business as long as you like. You know, you can sell it to an employee ownership trust. And, and I was MD for a year afterwards. And I was thinking I'd be there for a maximum of two years. So you can stay as, as MD as long as you like. You can also become chair of the business if you, if you want to. So it does give you a lot more flexibility if you don't want to let go entirely. You can stay um, as MD for another five years if you want to. Some people stay on, some people don't. And um, one thing I was determined not to do was to interfere. I was, even before lockdown, obviously I've not been able to go into the, the business very often in the last few weeks or months, but um, I was determined not to go in and just, and, and meddle. And I needed to let Steve get there and UMD have that space to, to work and, and make his own mark in the business. Because I've heard, a lot of, of times where um, there's a lot of meddling and, and confusion because the old um, the old guard doesn't leave basically yeah and um, and it's it's important to avoid confusion I hate muddles and if people were thinking oh Val's here you know is she involved in this this meeting and why is she here and and you know is Steve still reporting to her so I just I was absolutely determined for that not to happen yeah it's so um... it's 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 um, important. It's important for business owners to be aware just their, their mere presence has an influence on the way people behave Absolutely. in the business. Um, yeah. 
rightly or wrongly, one way or another, they have an influence um, because of their role and their heritage. So um, you've been been running around the market now, helping others with with um, you know considering if an EOT is right for them. What have you learned? What 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 mistakes do business owners make when considering it? What do they miss? Um, what are the key ingredients, if you like? So so thinking of some final tips. Well, a, a couple of things. I think there was there was one um, firm of architects I was speaking to where they just didn't have the structure right. They they, they weren't even ready to sell, but they what they needed was um, organisational development or someone to come in and help them with their structure. And I think that was um, that, that that's quite important as well. But before you even start, again, it's the succession planning piece. It's important to think what kind of what kind of team do we need, and thinking about the roles in the team as opposed to the people, because a lot of small businesses that emerge with a lot of people doing different things, where, which are maybe not in the best interests of the business. So it's important to define the roles that you need and set up the accountabilities and success measures associated with that role. And that was something we did um, in, in the Reflect company. We, we needed to make sure who is the, who is the boss of, of this particular area and what is he or she accountable for. So that's a, a really important lesson that I've, I've learned that is not being done in, in quite a few SMEs, where there's a lack of clarity of the role definition. And also I've heard a couple of, of stories of, um, and I think this is, uh, I've met a couple of people where, um, there's a bit of a, a fun fight for the, the role of MD and, and sometimes the, the clarity, what, what is required is clarity of what that role means. And um, sometimes it might be that the person who thinks they want the top job, once they see the role, <laughs> they might not want it. And, and they think that it's, it's the only progression up, whereas it might not make them happy. And it's, I think, again, it's this clarity of definition of who is doing what and who is accountable for what. Yeah. And once you've got that in place, then you can decide, well, maybe you just need somebody from outside. So those are the, it's the, it's the clarity of, and definition of the roles within the business, especially at senior levels. Yeah. It's really important. Who's responsible for what and when yeah. and where and how and absolute clarity and, about and that. And how are, you measuring, how are you measuring them? What are the success measures? Yep. Good point. Okay. That's great advice, Val. Yeah, getting getting your house in order and the structure and and what I think you're describing is is getting if you had all those things in place, the business would be exit ready ready or exit, exactly. you know. And then whether you do or don't exit, it's up to you. But the business Absolutely. is Absolutely. Yeah. And you're in control of the of the timing. You you you, you yep. decide. And I think but I think it's if you're starting to feel a bit wobbly about leaving, then sometimes it's good to just talk it through with your family as well, you know, because you, maybe you're you're more stressed than you think you are, and maybe you're having a detrimental effect to the family if you are. So it's it's, and I have to say that it just makes life a lot freer when you don't have that burden. It's yeah. it's a bit of a, a golden cage sometimes. Um, yeah. You talk yourself into thinking this is me. I'm I'm defined by this, and you know, there's life afterwards. Yeah, that's that's my experience. What's next? What's that next part of my journey as a business exactly. owner? Uh, this this role has defined me and what I've done for for so many years. What's next for me? If I know what I'm moving to, then that'll help me to make that next step towards it and probably make it a whole lot easier for everyone else who's uh, left behind. Because um, I heard a definition recently that said legacy is defined by the leadership team that's left behind. 
Yeah, uh, yes, that's that's really good. Okay, yeah, that's I've not heard that one. Yeah, it, uh, it rings yeah. true, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it is. It is legacy is defined by the leadership left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, excellent. That is that is a good one. I must admit, I'll write that down. <laughs> it's so... Recorded now. You'll be out of. Uh... <laughs> of course, that's right. Forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I, I think, in fact, one of our advisors for the employee ownership um, transition um, kept on talking about our successor successor. And he was uh, with John Lewis for 30 years. And in 1929, John Speedman Lewis set up the principles of the John Lewis partnership. And I've written the first principle down. This is still used today, since 1929. The first principle is the partnerships, this is the John Lewis partnership's ultimate purpose is the happiness of all of its members through their worthwhile and satisfying employment in a successful business. So that is what John Lewis is all about. And unlike Fraser's, unlike Debenham's, they're not the ones going to the wall. They're suffering quite a lot, obviously, and, and particularly now. But because they um, have those principles and the, the, um, a lot of success is because of the, the additional work they do in, in staff engagement in a meaningful way. We, we all talk about staff engagement and you know, how important it is. But they actually have uh, an employee council and that actually helps to run the business. So the, the John Lewis partnership is obviously the, they're in the high altar of employee ownership in the, in the real world. But the, um, they, they do, what they do is they, 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 they walk the talk and that is, yeah. is important. And you can sense that when you speak to a lot of, of waitresses yeah. and John Lewis people. They're not just saying people are our most, most important asset. They're actually doing yeah. something about it. And, and as you say, walking the talk. Um, so look after your people and they'll look after you. Yeah. It's often said, but um, hard to put in practice for many people. It's, it's not easy. And believe me, in our business, there's so many times when I've been so disappointed by people's behavior. You're trying to do everything to get people on board and treat them well with respect. And then they kind of give you a bit of a kick in the teeth. And you just got to accept that there are always going to be exceptions. You're never going to get everybody behaving beautifully. It's just that the, that world doesn't exist. But then just getting over it and just saying, you know, that was just not concentrating on the negative aspects of it's the joy of working with humans really yeah <laughs> and you know i would enjoy working with machines i just <laughs> it wouldn't be my thing so um you've been through the eot is it something you'd recommend absolutely i would um i think that um you know i started up this business business uh, as a force for good associates efg associates and i believe business can be a force for good and nobody sets up a business thinking this is going to be a rubbish business with a horrible culture but sometimes they end up with something very mediocre and i think that employee ownership is one of the best models available the best ownership models available once you get into it to make business better for the people working in the business. And if you can get people who to really who come to work thinking, I'm actually part of something a bit, a bit different, a bit special, and this is part of what I do and part of my life, then you get people who are happier and it's better for society. And if we all, if we all as business leaders, if we all work towards helping people to be happy and more fulfilled, then the world will be a better place. And it does sound a bit, cuckoo land but it, it really in practice it 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 does it, I, I saw it work in, in our business it, it definitely did and people were more fulfilled and and they they, they they 
it, it, it runs into their family life. If you've got a rubbish boss who doesn't recognize you and who is always, who, who really treats you badly, you're going to go home and, and take that home to the kids and the wife or the husband and, the, and your partner. So I think it's really important to, as it's a responsibility as business leaders to do that. And yeah, I think employee ownership can really help to make that happen. Cool. So any final tips? Is <laughs> it interesting timing? Uh, yes, any final tips? Um, final tips would be um, the Employee Ownership Association, and you can see that up here it's Employee Ownership Day is, is a really good source of, um, of information. On, um, I've, I've seen your website, Daryl, there's a lot of really good um, um, web, um, website content there for people um, who want to explore different options, because it might not be for everyone. Just think of all the options and, and looking at what is, is right for you. I think it's spending that time on the preparation to make sure what's right for you if you're exiting your business. Perfect. Thanks for sharing your time with us for today, Val. I've really enjoyed getting an insight and um, we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Cheers. Thank you. And in real life, Daryl, maybe we'll have coffee. <laughs> <laughs>